This morning's New Testament lesson is from the epistle to the Corinthians, the first Corinthians, chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, and it's on page 158 in the New Testament of the Pew Bible. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is meant not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. As God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that whatever is united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him? Shun fornication. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the fornicator sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Now, Lord, either, either through me or in spite of me, speak your word to these, your people, gathered here today. Amen. Going away to college was a big deal for me, as I imagine it might have been for many of you. As a senior in high school, I wasn't sure that I would get to go away. The local state school guaranteed me a full scholarship, but I had my heart set on Boston University, where the cost for room and board was about the same as the state school tuition. The only way that I would get to go would be to get a similar scholarship. I'll never forget the day my mom showed up at track practice with the envelope from BU sealed, just dying to find out what the answer would be. I don't know which way she really wanted it to go, because I think she wanted me to stay home. But that envelope contained my future path, and I don't know where I would be today without the opportunity that it brought me. I also think that I had a more down-to-earth college experience at BU than some of my classmates, because I was surrounded by others who were in the same scholarship program. We shared a dorm, a freshman seminar, and the knowledge that we needed at least a 3.5 GPA to get to keep our scholarships and stay at BU. Unfortunately, some of the guys in the program did what college freshmen often do, away from home and their parents' rules for the first time. They joined a fraternity, they partied too hard, went to too few classes, and studied too little. They thought that they were pulling it off until the first semester's grades came in. And one of the guys ended the semester with a 3.0. That might sound like a decent showing to a lot of college students, but it meant that he needed a perfect 4.0 to keep his scholarship that second semester. If it had been any lower, he wouldn't have had any chance of pulling it off. But even so, we all had our doubts about whether that he'd be able to do it. He was in a difficult major, and there were no easy A's. And it required a major lifestyle switch. However, he buckled down and he pulled it off. I suspect it was a hard lesson to learn, but he made it through the rest of college without any more difficulties. 
the Corinthian church that Paul was writing to in the passage we heard this morning went through a similar learning process. Part of what Paul had taught them was that Jesus' new covenant did away with many of the restrictions contained in the old law. As a result, the Corinthians started using the slogan, all things are lawful for me. Those of you who are reading along might have noticed that that was in quotation marks in Paul's letter. It was something that they were saying, not that he was saying. Like my college classmate, they took their newfound freedom a little too far. I imagine Paul hearing about their behavior felt kind of like the parents of a college freshman seeing some ill-advised pictures on social media. As a result, he sends off this letter to point out the error of their ways. While he agrees that all things are lawful, he makes the case that not all things are beneficial. After all, as I suspect we all know, it's perfectly possible to display poor judgment without actually breaking the law. Instead, Paul invites them to move away from a childish focus on what they can get away with to a more mature process of discernment. To this end, he offers two litmus tests that still hold true today. First, he amends the Corinthian slogan to say, all, all things are lawful to me, but I will not be dominated by anything. In other words, now that we're free, we shouldn't relinquish our freedom by allowing ourselves to be controlled by anything. The example he gives is based on the Corinthians' sexual impropriety, but it shows how something that is meant to be good and life-giving can take on a life of its own, becoming corrupted and controlling. Sex addiction is perhaps an even bigger problem in our internet age where pornography is only a click away, but it's not the only life-giving drive that can come to dominate us. Our God-given capacity for joy and serenity finds a substitute in substance abuse. Our need for nourishment can be twisted into the deprivation and excess of eating disorders. And our desire for material comfort can become acquisitiveness, hoarding, or even a gambling addiction. It seems we humans have a definite knack for becoming entrapped by our own needs and desires. Paul reminds us to exercise caution early and often to recognize and resist the pull of compulsion that seeks to deprive us of our free will, empowered by the knowledge that God has and will continue to free us from everything that threatens our physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. The second litmus test that Paul offers is that whatever we do should fit the purpose for which we were created. As Paul writes, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. In other words, we were created to glorify God in our bodies. And the way that we do that is in and through our physical selves. In this passage, Paul is rejecting the dualistic idea that the body is a hindrance to the spirit. Instead, he's introducing the radical notion that at least in this life, the body is the place where we're united with Christ. In fact, he writes that our bodies are members, literally limbs, of Christ. That our bodies are part of Christ's body. This message might be more crucial than ever in the appearance-obsessed world we live in. Our relationship with this human body is ambivalent at best. Media messaging, 
makes us hyper-focused on the outside of the body, specifically on changing or fixing the outside of the body. And in order to sell us that idea of changing and fixing something, the media first has to make us feel insecure or ashamed of the bodies that we have. Ever since I started working with people with eating disorders, I've really hated January for this reason. I mean, I've always hated January because of the weather and the snow, <laughs> but this New Year's resolution craze really gets under my skin with its assumption that we should all be trying to lose weight and get fit. You can't even watch the news without getting weight loss advice. And every media platform is pushing products like diet pills that don't actually help with weight loss, but can damage those little things like your liver. It's form over function, and this quest for the picture-perfect body too often becomes one of those dominating forces, creating insecurities that occupy too much time and mental space. Just this past Friday, NBC's morning show, Megyn Kelly Today, opened with a piece on body shaming, after the host made a comment the previous day that in grad school, she had asked her father to call her fat to stop her from overeating while she was studying. It's bad enough when we do it to each other, but even worse when we've internalized that message and do it to ourselves. Perhaps even more painful is the denigration of some people's bodies because of the color of their skin. Even though we'll remember the civil rights movement by honoring Martin Luther King Jr. on Monday, I and probably many of you are feeling appalled by the racism that we've heard from some of our leaders this week. I think it's safe to say that the civil rights movement is far from over. This antagonism toward the body, both our own and each other's, isn't what God wants for us. God intends our bodies to be temples of the Holy Spirit, something that we regard with reverence rather than with distaste. After all, as Psalm 139 so beautifully describes, it was God who knit us together in our mother's wombs, forming each of our inward parts. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, intricately woven by a master weaver, and we are each a work of art. No one walking through the woods judges the trees as too lumpy or bumpy, too narrow, too wide, too dark, too light. They all seem beautiful. Imagine what it would be like if we could walk down the sidewalk and look at each other that same way. As a church, we have often responded to the culture's overemphasis on the body by erring in the opposite direction, overlooking the body in favor of a spirituality of the mind. We have a tendency to focus on what we believe about God, what we want to say to God, and what has been written about God. Yet all these words that we use to try to know God fall short. Such knowledge is too wonderful for us. So high we cannot attain it. We cannot know God with our minds, because God is too great. We can only know God through direct experience and relationship. And we don't have to go far for that experience. As Paul writes, your body, yes, your body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. So what does it mean to be a temple? A temple is the dwelling place of God. Just as the Spirit of God was thought to live in the Jerusalem temple, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You have the spark of the divine inside you, 
right now and always. Take a moment, maybe close your eyes, and think about when you have felt closest to God. Call up that memory and try to experience it as vividly as you can. Pay attention to your body. What did you feel? What sensations and emotions were present in your body? Where did you feel them? John Wesley felt his heart strangely warmed. I feel a kind of expanding and tingling in my chest. What you feel might be similar or might be totally different. There's no right or wrong answer. But where you have that sensation is the place inside that you can go to to connect with God. Your body is a temple, and that influences how it should be treated. Not to control its outward appearance, but to maintain a holy space within. Nurture it. Keep it in tune with the spirit. Create space for the sacraments and rituals that take place in a temple. Go within to worship not the body itself, but the God who dwells there. Similarly, treat other people's bodies as temples of God because they are as well. Treat them gently. Invest in sheltering, clothing, healing, and feeding those who don't have the resources to care for their own temple. Look for that spark of the divine in the face of everyone you meet, regardless of their race or class or religion or anything else, because the indwelling God is in them too. As Martin Luther King Jr. once dreamed, practice seeing past the outsides of a person and see instead the content of their character. Love the God within. And in doing so, you will truly embody God's spirit. Let us pray. God, you are transcendent yet imminent, closer than we are to ourselves. Help us to embody your spirit so that we can be your hands and feet and voice in the world. Help us to see past the exterior to the interior temple within. In your name we pray. Amen.